0: To I Rise's Rage Podcast. We're in season four, The Catalyst. I am your guest podcast host for the day. My name is Ramona Beltran. I'm an associate professor in the Graduate School of Social Work at DU, and it is my absolute pleasure to invite these incredible, distinguished guests here today to talk with us as we follow up on last episode's theme of exploring futurism, imagination, and creativity. So I'm so lucky to know these amazing visionaries and to be inspired by their work. And I know that you will too. I wanna welcome Bobby Lefebvre and Ozi Alazim, And I think before we jump in, I'll just read a little bit about their work so you can get familiar with who they are and why they're here. So Ozioma Ozi Alazim is an Igbo scholar situated at the intersection of multiple ways of knowing. Originally raised on Omaha land, occupied Omaha, Nebraska, she's been a visitor on Arapaho, Cheyenne, and Ute Territories, or occupied Denver, since 2015. Ozi is the Denver Public Library's first equity, diversity, and inclusion manager. In addition to her role at DPL, Ozi serves as a racial equity and racial healing consultant for several organizations across the nation. She's a social work scholar that is deeply committed to collective liberation and social justice. As a critical Black feminist, she prioritizes racial and gender equity in her scholarship and activism. Thanks for being here, Ozzy. Bobby Lefebvre is an award-winning writer, performer, and cultural worker, using a non-traditional, multi-hyphenated professional identity to imagine new realities, empower communities. Advance arts and culture and serves as an agent of provocation, transformation, equity, and social change. His work has appeared in the New York Times, the Huffington Post, The Guardian, American Theater Magazine, NPR, and Poets.org. In 2019, Governor Jared Polis named Lefebvre Colorado's eighth poet laureate making him the youngest and first ever person of color to be appointed to the prestigious position in the program's 100 year history. Thank you both so much for being with us today.
1: Thanks for the invitation. Glad to be here.
0: Yes, echoing that, I'm so happy to be here with you. Happy All. to have you guys. So Bobby and Ozzy are gonna be speaking with us about the innovative work they're doing with Proyecto Mesa, Radical Imagination, Accountability in the Future. It's a project that gathers and engages BIPOC artists and cultural workers in six separate eight-person dinners to discuss, plan, and imagine a liberated future. So I'm just going to go ahead and jump in. Bobby, can you tell us a little bit about Proyecto Mesa and what led to its creation?
1: Absolutely, yeah. So this, um, this project is something that I have had in my mind for about a year and a half, and Early last year in January, I went to San Antonio, Texas to work with NALAC, the National Association of Latino Arts and Cultures. They were developing a program in partnership with the CERDNA Foundation, and they wanted to consult with some artists and cultural workers about how to build out this program. So we met for a week in San Antonio to talk about how this program could be developed as consultants, and then at the end of the planning process we had went through this whole week long thing and they were like, actually, congratulations, you all are the first cohort of the Catalyst for Change program. And so we were all super shocked because we had spent a week developing the program. And basically the CERDA Foundation committed $13 million over three years as a part of a a regranting program to fund um, black indigenous people of color, BIPOC artists and cultural workers whose work really seeks to advance racial justice so they partnered with 11 organizations across the country, including NaLak and other organizations like the Indian Collective and Alternate Roots, and they are, are giving out $25,000 grants to do this work. And so I was one of the awardees. And the project basically asks us to center ideas of radical imagination in our work. And, you know, that's what we're doing here with, with Sobremesa, with Proyecto Sobremesa. We're, we're, we're sort of trying to imagine through cultural work, through arts, what is possible. And so we, you know, COVID put a hold on everything. We actually got started on the project back in October and have been kind of inching toward our goal of really bringing people to this table. As you mentioned, we're, we're bringing 48 artists to a table over a six-month period. That was the original idea to, you know, really discuss together in an intercultural way, because I think one of the things I really wanted to do with this project was break down the silos that even exist between BIPOC communities. And I wanted to bring us together in an intercultural way to really center imagination and movement building together. And so these dinners, they offer a really tightly co-curated conversation where we get together and plan and dream for, for tangible change. These Conversations also include things like guest performances and you know ceremonial and artistic moments because the folks that uh, we're inviting to the table are, are are super incredible in their own right and so we we try to activate folks as much as possible. But that's some history on on how we got started. You know, I think that it's important to note that so many of us artists we do more than just make art, right? We're we're always you know positing new ideas and as norm we're. We're students of history and structures and um, we we activate all of our talents to make these things happen. So in a nutshell, that's how we got started. And, and that's kind of, we are now on our way into our fourth dinner, which has been really, really exciting.
0: Amazing. So Ozzy, can you tell us about your role in the project and how you see the project contributing to imagining a liberated future? Yes, I definitely can. So... Uh, I have known
2: Bobby, I think for a few years now, but Bobby was a part of a symposium that I planned last summer, um, Advancing Racial Equity in the Workforce. He opened us up with some wonderful poetry, but the summit itself was really around what is an embodied approach to social justice work look like? How do we bring our whole selves into the work that we're doing and make space for healing so that we can sustain ourselves throughout these these really um, difficult things that we're being tasked with doing? And so I think um, that was in a lot of ways an introduction for Bobby, I think, into my way of approaching the work. And Bobby has talked about it before, but really wanting to model what it looks like to, collaborate across identity when we're doing these projects. I think for him, it felt important that he work across identity, right? Um, Specifically working with a Black woman to to ideate, to dream, to imagine, um, and to figure out what was um, at first an idea, right? And I think what I bring into this project are A few things. Um, I'm a critical black feminist, I will say that up front. So I have a particular relationship to this work and to uh, this world. That means that I center connection in all that I do. That means that racial equity and racial justice is at the forefront of everything that I do. But as an Igbo woman living in the United States, right, existing on this land, the land um, of the Cheyenne, the Arapaho and the Ute, I think about place a lot and I think about healing a lot and I think about embodiment a lot um, and how to bring that into the work that I am doing and how to bring that into the work that I'm doing with other people. Embodiment being, yes, about what does it mean to return into our bodies, into a uh, understand our bodies as a site of learning and knowledge um, but also what does it mean to understand what is currently practiced or habituated in us Prentice Hemphill uh, is doing a lot of really great work around this for black folks specifically and talks about how embodiment is really a process of becoming aware of what has been what has been embodied in all of us because we all are embodying something at whatever point in time it is. It could be white supremacy, it could be equity, it could be liberation, it could be justice, right? But it is important to think about those learned practices and behaviors. And so that's what I spend a lot of my time thinking and doing. I spend a lot of my time wondering and activating that muscle of curiosity. And so I think I bring that into this project as well. Um, I really love asking questions, which Lo and behold, we we have a lot of question asking in this process and project. And so I think those are, I would say, so those are some of the the key things. But I would also say that I'm a teacher of accountability. That's something that I have been trying to bring into my social work practice. What does it mean to center accountability in all that we're doing? Accountability being the work that we're doing to intervene, respond to, prevent, um, and really consider our relationship to harm. That's a definition that comes from the Audre Lorde Transformative Justice Project. And I think it's really important to anchor everything that I do in that definition and to anchor any kind of community work in a collective understanding of what accountability is. Um, And so that's something I definitely have brought into this project and love that we center in this project, creating space to talk about accountability and to... uh, fumble through understanding what that means together. Um, And then how do I see this project contributing to an imagined liberated future? Ooh, this is such a juicy question. I think going back to thinking through like what is, what are the things that are learned inside of us that we don't necessarily pay attention to. I think one of those sayings are that we are taught to constantly analyze um, anal- analyze meaning that we're constantly taking things apart. Um, where we're deconstructing, right? But where are we taught to put things back together, how to construct something new that hasn't existed before to imagine creatively and to to do that collectively. I have talked about Adrienne Marie Brown's quote before, but she often talks about how when we're changing inequitable systems and ways of being, we're we're building more equitable structures, right? We're trying to build and create something that does not currently exist, which requires so much creativity. She says that's the most um, creative pursuit that she invests her time and energy in. And I think that is really, really important because if we're not creating space to activate this muscle of creativity or this muscle of radical imagination, then we're not going to be positioned to imagine the new structures and systems that we're all really deserving of. And so that's why Afrofuturism and indigenous futurism and all of the futurisms become so important because we, we have to imagine new ways of doing things and create innovative solutions and thinking about what that means. Because when we're in crisis, it blows open the box of what is possible. I think that's a Milton, um, a Milton quote, right? And when this door of possibility is open, we have to keep it open as long as possible and push forward as many radical politics that we can with courage and with accountability so that we're expanding the realm of what is possible and we're really stretching our radical imagination. And so I think that's what this does. It's, it's giving us space to practice what that means, to practice that together um, so that we can really have that transformative, liberated future that we're all deserving of because we've spent time imagining it together.
0: So beautiful. So I am really blessed that I was able to be a part of this project for the first dinner and, you know, just listening to you both describe it, it really was all of those beautiful words. There was accountability, there was imagination, there was just incredible creativity and diversity of thought across the table that was just so inspiring. And I think about what it felt like. And to me, what it felt like was this kind of moment of peace. And as somebody who's been doing activist scholarship and activist social work for you know 20 plus years, I think I had mentioned to um, both you and Bobby in our last event together that it was the first time that I really felt somebody was going out of their way to take care of me, to, to make sure that in cultivating my ideas across the table with others that I was, you know, getting good food and that I was nourished and that I was cared for and tended to and heard and seen. And it was so powerful. And it made this whole process of accountability feel gentle and easy. You know, I think a lot of times people think about accountability as something that's, oh, you're going to have to really just deal with your flaws as opposed to being in community And generating an accountability that's like based in love, and so I'm wondering if we could just give folks a little bit more of like the, what does it feel like? What happens at these dinners that make them really special and unique? You know, even down to the food and the curation of the, the drinks and the people who who show up. I don't. I wonder if Bobby, if you could give us a little bit more description of what it's like to be at the table.
1: Yeah, I would love to. And I, I really appreciate that you you kind of picked up on that because really foundational to the project for me was exactly that. Like in the you know, grant proposal, in my invitation to guests, I made it abundantly clear that this also just serves as sort of a thank you for all the work that you know these folks do on a regular basis. And and so for me it was really about okay, we can imagine things all day, but At what point do we start to to act on those those ideas and model it? Right. And so when I was thinking about it, I wanted this to feel exactly as you said, Ramona. I wanted it to really feel like folks are being taken care of, that they didn't have to come in and worry about anything, because we live in a culture and a, you know, where we, the artists, the cultural workers, the the thinkers, the doers, we're extracted from a lot people take from us, they want our ideas, they want our bodies, they want our, our minds. Yeah. And sometimes they, you know, find a way to to exchange currency for those things. And, and sometimes th- there's not. And so I really wanted folks to just feel that peace that you talked about Ramona. So I, I, I was thinking about who I wanted to include, what I wanted it to look like. And in my head early on, I really did see this really nice dinner that was simple but beautiful with amazing food curated by a chef who understands these same beginnings so our our chef Edwin Sandoval he runs Catrucho Concepts he's a Honduran and he is an immigrant and he understands the connection that we have to food and place and it was just really important for me to to have those experiences. I wanted folks to have, you know, drinks. I wanted this to be a celebration. So we we, we, we partnered with the bartender who just took the bar exam last uh, week. So I'm, I'm, I wanna follow up with him to see if he, you know, how he felt he, he felt about that. But I really wanted this to be, you know, kind of nice. Just, you know, and he's creating these amazing craft cocktails using agave spirits. You know, we're, we're, we're using mezcal. And we're, we're taking these things that exist in, in different parts of our cultures and we're, we're we're amplifying them and we're making them, we're redefining them. And so when folks come in, they're greeted by somebody at the door who takes all the COVID precautions, right? Temperature checks. We, we ask them about symptoms. We uh, do all that good stuff. And then they walk in and they're given a packet. And in that packet is a um, obvious, you know, things that they use like markers and pens and things like that. But it also comes equipped with these um, foundational elements that we have created for the project. And we have these pillars that we, we operate from. So they, they get these pillars, they walk through the space, we have um, flip chart paper around with questions that we ask. You know, question on, the, on that flip paper, for example, is, when do you feel most liberated? They go around and they kind of fill the, the you know, the, the, the flip charts out. They roam around, they can get a drink. And then at six o'clock, we sit down. And usually we get started in a good way. So we have somebody offer a prayer, a poem, some sort of, of, of thing to get us started. And, and then really we, we hop into conversation and our conversation is rooted around these questions that we have asked, these sort of prefix questions. And it's a random game. And we, we sort of um, leave the conversation to chance somewhat. And, and we have these amazing questions that we pair with these pillars. And then all of a sudden conversation erupts and it's, it's really beautiful to watch because really what we're, we're trying to do is we want to create some sort of manifesto at the end of this that says through this imagining together, these are tangible steps that we can all take to activate radical imagination so that we may be able to imagine and operationalize, you know, this process in a way that allows for us to really focus on change. So we're, we're trying to activate this practice by which we realign really our orientation to what we know and really figure out how we discover together what we do not right and so how do we shape that new world that we've never experienced but we long for right and then how does that shaping translate into ideas and and really affect structural and systemic change and i believe that right as an artist myself i believe that we have that ability to shift that narrative to help shape that new collective future that we, we really, really believe can benefit more of us, most of us, all of us, in a way that is, is, is more far reaching. And so we, we're, we're taping all of these events. So we have a video crew, we're, we're recording the audio, and we're hoping to create podcast like um, episodes so that people can actually engage in that way. And we've also decided that our final dinner, we're going to live stream so that people can tune in live and really experience the last one Um, for themselves because we do believe it is special and we don't want to keep this secret. You know, it's funny. I was in Hawaii once working with some indigenous Hawaiians and there was a conversation around the um, documentation of ceremony. And we were, we were, we were sitting in ceremony and the conversation whether or not a phone should be present in that space came up. And, you know, as traditions change, as, as rituals change, the younger generation were like, look, we want to document this because I don't want to lose this language. I don't want to lose these prayers. And so there was this really beautiful moment where um, an elder and a young person were talking and the elder simply said, you know, you're absolutely right. Our, our, our traditions, uh, our ways um, they're sacred, but they are not secret. And so that's kind of the, the approach that we have. We don't want this to feel elitist, right? Because you know, obviously we're confined with the amount of folks we can bring in because of COVID and just because of the budget, but we also don't want this to feel exclusive. We really want this to be something that we can launch into bigger projects later. And Ozzy and I have ideas about that uh, in the future as well. Um, but that in a nutshell is kind of what the event looks like. And hopefully very soon you'll be able to see that for yourselves. We're, we're hoping to be uh, able to put out some content in a teaser trailer here um, relatively soon so folks can really engage with us.
0: Wow, I love hearing how it's grown and how it's taking different shape. And I especially appreciate that what you just what, what you just shared, that this knowledge are ways they're sacred, but not secret. And I, I love that you're going to be live streaming it because it was so powerful for me. Um, and even in the intimacy of the moment, it was powerful in that it was a shared moment. So that was um, that's incredible I'm super excited about that for you all and for these dinners so I know you mentioned that you plan to develop a manifesto resulting from the gatherings and now you've had about half of what you planned so you've had three dinners what have been some of the takeaways or inspirations so far go ahead Ozzy yeah
2: um I I've been thinking a lot about it's actually, I was I just texted Bobby about this. Um, it's called Manifesto for a moral, Revo- moral Revolution by Jacqueline Novogratz. And I came across it because I came across um, the definition of moral imagination that's used in that book, which is the humility to see the world as it is and the audacity to imagine what it could be. And like I, like I said before, I think... What is really amazing to see unfold is Bobby and I, I think, have this loose idea of like the relevance and the importance of radical imagination, but to see what it can do and what it feels like in real time and also to think about how it can be used for strategic planning, how it can be used for community engagement. Um, Trauma-informed community engagement at that is really, really exciting and feels, it feels like we're, we're on the cusp of something something new, even if we can't name it. And so uh, just letting ourselves experience that and not being tied to trying to name it, I think has been a really great and helpful practice for both Bobby and I as social justice workers, as people, as individuals fighting for this liberated future, right? I think um, our tendencies are to try and name things in real time. But to this, this point of we're, we're trying to create things that don't exist. We can't really use old language to to name these new things. And so we have to let ourselves relax into these moments and accept them as they are and to to be attuned to what's happening, but to not be beholden to trying to to really try and get a handle of it in any way. And so that's just been really amazing to watch, but also just really understanding that change has to be relationship-centered. I think intuitively we know that social justice is fundamentally social, right? Because it has social in the name, but I don't know that we really think about the the true magnitude of that, that claim or that sentence, right? Um, and so, this has been an opportunity to really think about how we create these new ways of relating and coming together that are grounded in healing and radical imagination and justice. Um, We have to really think about the relationship. And I like that these dinners are small because it's not about the number of these connections or the number of these relationships, but the quality of those connections. I think, I'm, I'm not a physicist, so if I'm wrong, I don't know, maybe this is my interpretation of this idea of critical mass, but it's, it's not the quantity of something, right, but the quality of the interactions that creates this replication of energy in the same way that it's not the number of people that we're inviting into this, not even to each individual dinner or into this individual or to this entire project, but it is a quality of what we're creating in these containers that is going to replicate. And so I can already feel that replication. And that's really exciting to watch, to be able to theorize around this and to experience it and then to find some way of sharing it back out. But I think what by and large is the most amazing thing to watch is just really thinking about how when we attend to creating these really quality energy exchanges or these quality connections that are rooted in in imagination and healing, we're building the connective tissue that is so fundamentally important for true radical social change. And that is what we have to spend more time to attending to, right? We have to keep practicing this. I I keep thinking since the start of the pandemic, what is my role in this? Um, What is required of me? And who are we going to be to each other in this moment? And I think this dinner has answered some of those questions for me, right? my role in this is helping to create this space, and who do we need to be to each other, are these co-creators, right, of a liberated future. And we need to be able to, to dream and to imagine and to explore safely and healthily together. So I think that that is what's really profound about this experience, because it's creating space for us to reach for one another, which is so important. We can't afford not to do that because everything is really on the line. So those are, those are some of my, I think, more philosophical takeaways.
0: I really appreciate what you had to say about, you know, resisting this urge to name it in real time. And I, I think what's really beautiful about that and bold about that in the context that we're in, you know, this capitalist consumer product-driven system that has been such a problem for so long and we're seeing it is that um, it's all about product. And and these dinners are about process, not product. And in that way, they are already the, the manifesto themselves just living and breathing. And that's so beautiful. So I'm wondering if either one of you can tell me a little bit more about the dialogue game that you play, and then maybe we can do it together. To yeah, I can,
1: I can do that. You know, and, and Ramona, you, you you mentioned again, and I, the, the difference between, you know, product and process, it, it was so, I was so grateful to NALAC, um, the National Association of Latin Arts and Cultures, for really allowing me the space to play, because that's really what they've a- allowed me to do here. Um, traditional grant funding, uh, processes ask that we tell them what we're going to do. And then we, they want to know what that product is. They want to know what the end point is. And from jump, I, I, I pitched them a process. I said, look, I have no idea what this is going to become, but I can tell you that the process is going to be special because I'm bringing people into this, this circle, that are going to be incredible and we're going to build something as we're, we're, we're sort of walking. And I ask that you trust me to do that, to, to, if you want, if you want to like really engage radical imagination, imagine a grant application that doesn't have to have an endpoint and say, This is what I'm going to give you, right? And we need more of that, right? We need to be able to leverage money. In order to play because so much of, of, of where creativity lives and where growth lives is in that space in between. It's in the doing, it's in the practice, it's in the process. Yeah, and so that's, that's what we're right. finding out here. And it's incredible, but this game that we created, it's, it's really, really cool. And, and this was mostly Ozzy's idea. I believe the the idea of this randomness, because I, I, in this, I had a very specific idea of, you know, what I thought I wanted the conversation to be like And then in meeting with Ozzy and kind of, you know, letting go of some of that creative control, which is hard for me as an artist. And, you know, to be honest with you, like, it's hard for me to work with people as a writer. That's a very solitary act. And for the most part, I enjoy that because I have control over it. But really, when I invited Ozzy, I didn't want to just invite Ozzy into like, you know, big up or be a fan person of my of my process. I really wanted to listen and learn and. Um, relinquish some of that. And that's what I, I, I was able to do in this process. So at the table, when everybody sits down, we have two um, hats, if you will, of, 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 of things. One are these questions, and then one's, uh, one is full of these pillars. And we literally, Ozzy's on one side of the table, I'm on the other. We don't even know half the time if I have the pillars or the questions. We, we introduce ourselves at the table so we ask our, our our guests to tell us who they are, what they do or what their work is, and who their people are. That way we orient our you know each ourselves to each other and we know a little bit about each other. and then we we really just hop into conversation. and so we can definitely I've got these. I'm gonna I was um even before this call, we were trying to figure out how to you know what would be a good way to do this, and we're just gonna do it as if we were at the dinners. So.
2: And this usually also happens at the dinner. I will jump in and say, this is the this is where we came up with these pillars for. Um, I already spoke a little bit about accountability, but as Bobby and I were like trying to figure out what we wanted to talk about um, at the dinner, we didn't wanna be prescriptive. We wanted to have something to guide our conversation in, but we wanted to do it in a really intentional way. And so we landed on these pillars because we got into conversation about how our current institutions don't have really any of the things that we're fighting for in mind. And if we are creating a new liberated world, we have to create this world based on what we value. And so we talked about things like healing and justice and joy being the pillars for our new liberated world and talked about how we are going to radically imagine our relationship to each of these things and thinking about being grounded in our definition of accountability, right? Minimizing harm, preventing harm, Interfering or intervening when harm is being caused using that to guide us as we radically imagine what it means to uphold these pillars. And so that's the idea, the context behind the pillars um, before we jump into the question itself.
1: So literally in front of me, I have two, I have two little um, containers One has um, the questions and one has the pillars that we created. So I'm literally going to play the game. I'm going to pick a question and I'm going to pick a pillar and then we'll see what that what that sounds like. Okay. So the question is, what does radically imagined blank look like? And now I'm going to pick one from the other side. Okay. So the question becomes, what does radically imagined solidarity look like? And so we we, we we pose that question, that, that is random, we give folks a hot second to to stew on it and then the conversation begins, somebody begins. So if I were playing, if I were at the table and I was speaking first and I'm thinking about what does radically imagined solidarity look like? And for me, it goes back to like, what is solidarity, right? And, and for me, that definition to me is one question, primary question I always ask folks that I ride with is, you know, how can I show up for you? You teach me how I can show up for you. And and that helps me build my practice of solidarity is by my solidarity being informed by what people need from me. Not making assumptions about what I think black folks need or making assumptions about what I think trans folks need, but like really getting to know them and, and being in proximity with them so that I understand their individual struggles and how those struggles intersect with mine. And so I would lead with that, something like that, in at, at the dinner. And then that sparks something, or someone else has something else to say, and the conversation just kind of takes off from there. Ozzy, would you add anything?
2: To the question, to the answer, I would add. Yeah. <laughs> um I think I think about language a lot. And I feel like radically imagined solidarity looks like the word solidarity losing its relevancy because that has become our new baseline, our new way of relating to one another in this really taken for granted way, right? It is this thing that we embody at all times, so we don't have to name it. Um, and that's, I think, the place that I hope we get to solidarity currently, or even in the future, just being able to to wonder about people around us about the world around us and to see ourselves reflected in the other and to want to find that connection and to want to make sure that whatever it is we're in relationship to is experiencing the world, um, as fully and as wholly as it can. Um, and I think that is really what solidarity is. It's, it's creating, Space or moving the removing the barriers that get in the way of people being able to live their full expression of humanity for the natural world to live its full expression of its experience. Right. I think. I think for me that's what solidarity is. It's it's ensuring that we're able to do that um, and using our whatever our, our privileges, our resources, what have you, to ensure that. If, if we don't see that happening somewhere,
0: it can happen. So I guess I'll jump in and share too. This, this one's, this is a really good question. Oh, all of the questions that come together are so good. But, um, you know, sometimes I struggle with the term solidarity because I think there is a way that it still upholds this like disconnection and difference between our groups and identities and affinity experiences um, and our relationships. Not, not that I'm saying I wanna throw it out, but I, I guess what I would like is to think about how I can come closer to seeing folks as my relative. Like when I hear the term radically imagined solidarity I think about the word family, and how is it that we can transcend these, um, you know, ways that we categorize people into belonging or not belonging, and and you know, transform them into a way that we can look at each other as relatives, as interconnected in these deep, rich ways, and, you know, and I think about relationships in you know, not only amongst people, but amongst the earth and, um, you know, the animals and plants and, you know, just all of creation, like, what does it mean? How, how, How would solidarity be different if it was really in the context of seeing all of the earth, the creation and people as, you know, relative? that's what comes up for me.
1: Yeah, I love that. And that's, that's part of what's so beautiful at the table is you have these moments where somebody will say something, and it'll resonate with you. And it'll, it'll challenge, you know, the things that you know, to be true, or the it'll challenge, it'll shake the ideas that you have of your own processes, or like what you believe and it challenges you. And I think some of the most profound moments have been where there's, there's, been some disagreement about well I don't know if that's the way I see that and and the the growth and the conflict at the table I think is really really interesting because you watch us sort of untangling it in real time and and that's where the that's where the the leveling up comes right that's where the the transformation happens is in those moments where we're challenged and being challenged and we're forced to kind of figure out new ways forward. And, and that's been, you know, really, really incredible. And the other thing that's been really beautiful too is just watching people feel like they don't have to be anybody, but who they are. You know, I think sometimes the, 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 our society teaches us that in order to maintain, to survive, to get by, that we have to always be in this position of code switching and to watch people just kind of show up as they would be without any of those exterior like external barriers or or, or or you know stressors has been really, really beautiful. And you could just see the 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 weight lifted off of folks and the smiles and the um we for a brief moment we're experiencing something new and that's that's really really beautiful to watch.
0: Yeah, I think that's I- exactly how I experienced it was just this like moment of relief and this lifting. And, you know, as a participant, just um, one thing that I observed was that there were kind of differences in interpretations of meanings of things. And um, for me, it was like this, oh my gosh, I love hearing this. I love it, even if it challenges um, my ideas. In fact, I embrace the challenge of my ideas because I want to learn and grow. But what was so beautiful about it was um, there was no defensiveness and you know, there wasn't like arguing, it was just this kind of exchange of ideas and this like sculpting of ideas happening at the same time, which I think is really different than what we experiences in places where we're supposed to be having difficult social justice conversations, right? And, and actually, I think that this could be a model for how you can have these complicated conversations with people who have you know, similar and very different ideas but they're generative and creative as opposed to um, you know, categorizing. Does that make any sense? Yeah, it definitely does. And that's
2: that's part of what we've been stewing on. Um, we've got so many ideas around that, but I think to both of your points, um, what has been really, really cool to see is we, we intentionally, like I said, we tried to create an embodied experience. And so we intentionally invite folks into their bodies in this space. But what I don't think we see in real time oftentimes is what it looks like when someone's mind is stretching. Mm -hmm. And what is really cool to witness in this space is our mind stretching and to see it happening in other people because that takes a certain amount of vulnerability to allow ourselves to be humble, right? To, to, to accept that there are things that we might not know, that there are other ways of thinking about the world and invite space for that as we consider what it is we actually believe. Um, and the different, the body cues that you see, that, that level of a- affective engagement, that's a personal passion of mine because I think when you're activating affect in that kind of way, Um, In these social justice spaces, it connects you to the work a little bit differently, but it also is that it's the crux for like sustainable change because you feel connected to the work or to the people that you're doing the work with. Um, And so that felt experience, I think, to both of your points, is what makes this different than everything else that I've seen when it comes to racial equity spaces, social justice spaces. It's often a very intellectual experience or exchange. We're in our brains a lot where, especially if we're an academic, we're theorizing, right? Um, but we're not thinking about what it feels like or to feel through these conversations. And so um, I do think that this creates a great model and framework for trauma-informed conversations and trauma-informed community engagement um, that can be used for a lot of
0: different purposes. Agreed. So I want to be really thoughtful about your time and about everything that you've brought to our virtual table today. And I want to close with just one last question before we invite Bobby to share a poem with us to, to send us out. And that question is, what makes you excited to be alive right now?
1: Yeah, what makes me excited to be alive right now? You know, I think all of the things that have converged over the last year have pushed us collectively in new ways that I I feel is new. You know, whether it's sustained or not, um, I get excited at the idea of watching during a pandemic, how quickly certain things changed, right? How quickly we were able to, um, I hate the word, but pivot, right, into new ways of doing things. And I think that that can be applied to what we're talking about here. I don't see why we can't collectively agree that it's time for large-scale systemic change. It's time for us to think of new ways of doing things. It's time to um, get rid of certain things and very quickly do them a different way. We saw that during, you know, the pandemic from silly trivial things. to like, you know, really big things, right? Like you could get cocktails to go if you wanted to. And, you know, a whole bunch of sectors figured out how to work from home. And that then has, you know, kind of birthed a conversation around what does self-care look like now like are folks more in tune with themselves that they're in their own spaces and we're having these these conversations but the idea that things can change quickly really ignited something in me and it made me want to fight more it made me want to organize more it made me want to work more um and at the same time so much of what we're doing at these dinners is, is is trying to figure out a way to center joy right and to to center slowing down and to center rest and and to figure out a way that we don't have to be caught up in that machine, because that's part of the, the, the foundational elements of this project, too, is looking at the ways in which capitalism needs us, needs racism um, to continue to operate these systems. And how then do we together interculturally break those things down? So I'm really excited in this moment about the potential for us to engage in change on a large scale across, you know, sectors and ecosystems and all of those good things.
0: Yes. cozy.
2: Yeah. It's so funny. The thing that has me most excited is kind of at the core of this dinner, but it's not until recently that I really had language for, for, what it actually means, I think. Like we talk about radical imagination, but I came across um, Valerie Carr and the work that she's been doing about revolutionary love. And she talks a lot about wonder and she defines it as the practice of cultivating an awe-filled reflective openness to other's thoughts and experiences their pain, and their joy. Um, and she talks about wonder being specifically an anti-racist practice and how wondering about others helps us wonder about ourselves, right? It's It makes us wonder, who am I? Who taught me about myself? Do I really believe those things? Why do I believe those things? And what it looks like to, to wonder about for instance if we're interacting with another human being to wonder about the person and that person and where we overlap and where our work overlaps and so i've been thinking a lot about what it looks like to keep wonder at what it looks like to keep wonder at the core of relationships what it looks like to keep it at the core of everything that we're doing because i feel like in some ways it becomes the antidote to fear because we fear that which we don't know we fear that we are, for whatever reason, we we're making assumptions about a situation. And because of those assumptions, we're making determinations about what our risk is. And I think if we're activating that muscle of wonder instead of fear, we're in a different place to to think more of, of folks as us versus them. She has a really profound line where she's like, those who refuse to love you have forgotten how to wonder about you. Don't let that shut down your ability to wonder about them. And I think about how wonder used to be this natural place that I existed in when I was younger, and how school beats out wonder, how all of the things beat out wonder, how you, you, you think growing up becomes you having a certain amount of knowledge over everything and losing the need to wonder or to imagine um, or to be curious and What she has reminded me, what these dinners have reminded me is that no wonder is really kind of the most important thing. I think all roads point to wonder, all roads start at wonder. And I am so excited about something so simple being so profoundly important and something that I think everyone can connect to. And so I'm excited about linking that specifically to anti-racist work in organizing and how that can become really transformational in
0: how we approach the work. Thank you. That is, I think, the perfect segue, wonder into closing out with a poem from, from Bobby.
1: Yeah, thank you, Ramona, for having us. We appreciate the conversation. Thank you, Ozzy, for saying yes and for helping me design this thing. It's such a, uh, uh, an amazing um, experience that I hope can be um, transitioned in some way to something new once you know, this particular iteration uh, of it goes away. Follow us on, on social media. We're going to be activating our Instagram page a little bit more here in the future with content. We've been taking photos. Juan Fuentes, if you don't know Juan's, you know, skills in his work, follow Juan in Old Denver. But Juan's taking photos of all of our guests and we're, we're going to be activating our, our Instagram page, kind of showing folks what what it looks like. So follow us on Instagram. It's proyecto.sobremesa on Instagram. And uh, this poem I'm going to read, you know, I, I usually actually begin poetry sets with this poem. It's more of an invocation. Um, but I love the idea of it sort of being a reverse invocation, right, or whatever that the opposite side of that is. I don't know what that is. But it's a it's a poem that really speaks to us as artists, as cultural workers, you know, really getting back to like the the role that we play in society because we're, I think sometimes still even, you know, not in 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 art circles, but people outside of what we do really just believe that we're we're still just this decorative thing that exists and, you know, to 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 do. Yeah. Anyway, that that's what this is about. It's about the getting back to the spirit of who artists are, what cultural workers do, and why. It's called An Exercise and Ritual. We gather here together in this sacred circle like we always have, here around this fire that has always burned, the same fire that lives in our bellies and makes an inferno of our hearts, this spirit we summon, this beauty we conjure, this inventiveness we invoke, What is a vessel but a carrier of the coveted, a transmitter of quintessence, a conduit of culture? Come and meet us at the place where ritual is given a body, where ceremony is given a face, where our existence transfigures into a song we warble in unison. For he who sharpens his imagination is a visionary. She who gives shape to intuition is a prophet. They who hone mortality beseech the immortal. Look at what we are building together. We, the masons of reimagining, the architects of metamorphosis, the repositories of our collective consciousness, blessed be the makers, the ones who set themselves ablaze willingly to warm the masses, the ones who traverse the unknown giving life to the unseen. Join us as we turn ourselves inside out. Watch as we illuminate what kindles inside our bones, these places where we find and lose ourselves at the same time. These messages we devise with purpose, these aesthetics we mold with the supple clay of our minds, join us at these holy places of abandon, these playgrounds of ingeniousness, these genesis of more inspired tomorrows. For who does not admire a flower unfolding? Who does not feel the warmth of the sun shining boldly upon their face? Whose feet do not move the coaxing of the drum sound? Come and meet us at a new juncture, where expression devoid of consciousness is merely decoration. Where art is an insistent incubator for justice, where equity and access are an altar, we decorate with the flowers of promise and purpose. For what is it to highlight the margins, but an attempt to balance the scales? What is a raised fist, but a war cry in the language of the purposely silenced? What is dissent, but an innate aversion to the confines of the status quo? Art and culture is a communal land that does not know borders, a common language we are all born speaking fluently, a right that has been paraded around is a privilege for far too long, come and help us rip the esoteric from the sky, let our hands reach for the stars, grasp them, and share their tangible glow with anyone drawn to their light, and here we will all shine and wander together, here we will eradicate all of the man-made barriers we impose upon one another, this beautiful burden we carry, this responsibility tethered to our pens, paints, pirouettes, percussion, and performance, this work, this digging, these hands unearthing the truth, this joy, this beauty, this struggle, these songs, these testaments, these heirlooms, these markers of humanity that remind us that we are here, that we are alive, that we always have been, and that we always will be. Thank you.
0: Thank you so much, Bobby, always for your words, for your art, for your creativity, for the inspiration you bring to community. And Ozzy as well, for your wealth of knowledge and wisdom and all the the creativity that you bring to community and to organizing and to social work and social justice. Both of you, I'm so grateful for your time. Um, Thank you for being with us today. Thank Thank you. you so much for having us. Thank you for listening to another episode of the RAGE podcast. This podcast is brought to you by IRISE, or the Interdisciplinary Research Institute for the Study of Inequality. For more information about us and the work that we do, please visit irise.du.edu. To ensure that we can continue to bring you quality content, please be sure to subscribe or follow like, and share on the platform that you're listening to us on. The music for this particular podcast episode is called Tranquility, and it's by producer Rediman. Once again, thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Rage podcast. We'll see you soon.